Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Reservoir Red Dogs. I'm Matt Ford and this is Paul McGregor. Hello, Matthew. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. We've just <laughs> finished recording this and it's really hard not to be totally buzzing about it. And obviously it's surreal for me because as we discussed in this episode, I was at school with Jermaine. We weren't just in the same year, we were in the same form. And obviously as a result, it's just been so amazing seeing his career develop in every twist and turn that it's taken, just onward, ever upward. Um, so it's a, I mean, it's the first, I've bumped into him a few times since. I've never sat down and talked to him for over an hour about his life. And obviously there were elements <laughs> of that life that overlapped with mine for a few years. So it was very, very surreal for me. Um, I hope it wasn't too self-indulgent. I don't think it was, was it? I don't, th- I don't think so, mate. I think, I think we've got every right to talk about the fact that you, you're in the same form. I mean, you know, given he didn't remember you, you know. And, uh... <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine how terrible that would have been. Do you mean we no, went to school together? Think, what? Think... Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> no, there's no one funny in my class. Come on, mate. <laughs> He does remember I still, me. I think he still stood by that, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, th- this, was, uh, this was great. The show begins with Jermaine, as many guests do, commenting on Paul's hair. Well, yeah, what is that? It's, is it a bad shave job? What have I done? I think it looks great. Is it? I mean, it's, it's, it's quite Eastern European. It's quite Eastern block kind of post-punk. 80s band, isn't it? It looks pretty severe, but your sweet and charming face yeah. means you can get away with any haircut. But oh, uh, thank you. It softens it, doesn't it? It does soften it. Yeah. Well, let's see what Jermaine had to say. It was about about three weeks ago. It was down here. Oh, was it? Full, full lockdown hair. You had enough. And uh, I just, yeah, it was in such bad nick. I, what I did, I ran round to my mum and dad's house because they've got they've got some decent clippers. Mine are knackered. Uh, I, ran, I literally ran there. Shaved it off in the garden, ran home, done. <laughs> Number yeah. eight all over. But Paul, you're like Madonna, depending on when people see you. Like, you've got a different look for every decade. I am, I am very much <laughs> like Madonna, yeah. It's been said for many reasons. It's, it's great to have you on, Jermaine, but most of the players we have on here, ex-Forest mm. players, are people that remember Paul being younger than them and Paul being, like, the YouTube player or the guy who did their boots... I think you're probably the first person on who was at the club and remembers Paul yeah. being like a senior pro when you were under them. So what were yeah, your first impressions of Paul when you first saw him? Well, I didn't, mm. you know, I think I, was, I, I grew up in an era where as a youth team player, you had respect like for the pros and the first team. So to talk to them was not really like, you just wait, you waited to be spoken to more than anything. <laughs> and if you was asked anything, it was like, okay, what do you want me to do? I think Paul was like, right on the cusp at the time. He was like probably in the reserve team, maybe dressing room with players like Hodgey was a player that came, comes yeah. to mind. Um, who was the right back? God, I can't remember his name. He was a good mate of mine as well. Uh, he was like the captain at the time, I think. Coops. Coops. Cooper. Coop. No, no. It was, no, um, Richard. He's at Mansfield Richard. now. He's academy manager at Mansfield Is now. Is he? Yeah, yeah. Coops. Yeah, Coops Good in that Coops. dressing room. But obviously, Paul was one of the players that was mainly getting drafted into the first team at the time. But yeah, long hair. He had a bit of a bowl on him walking down the corridors, <laughs> I have to say. I, I well, remember you do that. at that age, don't you? Doesn't everyone? You do, you do indeed. But yeah, <laughs> that, that was my memories, really, of Paul. And then obviously, yeah, Cork came on, scored a few goals here and there, didn't you? Good times. Did all right. Did all right. In and out. I got in and out. Mm. 
So who's <laughs> did you still have to clean boots then when you're at Forest Germain? And, and whose boots yeah. did you have to do if so? Yeah, so I was on, I think I was on uh, Chris Bart Williams uh, and Ricardo Shimica at the time. Um, but yeah, I was always doing boots. Like, to be honest <laughs> with you, like, the, the boot room was like, I, I, I used to love being in the, in the boot room. Um, like, it was where all the conversations were going yeah. on, where all the stories from that weekend, where any, anyone had been. <laughs> It all went where you could hide room. as well, where you could hide yeah, from the yeah. gaffer and run into the not, back. Yeah, and not only like from the gaffer, but obviously, you know, Paul will remember because it probably started from his era, but we used to have a thing called like court cases in the youth team where if like, I don't know, anybody could be doing anything on any given day. For example, like, um, I don't know, someone might have nutmegged an older player in, in, in training and took the piss. And that was, you got back to training ground. It was like, right, court case, court case. And everyone would be getting rounded up. I always used to go and hide in the boot room and over the other side of the stadium. I used to go anywhere and just take my football. I used to have these little footballs that Harty gave us. These little tiny footballs in a, in a bottle. And it was like your responsibility. So you used to have to take it to training and bring it home. And we used to walk down the Trent, obviously to training ground everyone's trying to get older people's balls and smash it into the trend. And because you knew if you lost your ball, Harty was going to go mad. So I used to take that ball over the other side of the stadium and go and play two touch with uh, a guy called Robert Gill, Gilly at the time. And uh, yeah, that I, I literally would spend hours just playing two touch with him. I mean, it's amazing because I think of all the guests we've had on, like you came through Forest. Yeah. Probably from the youngest age, you were there just pretty much your whole life, and then you made it. You, you got into the first team, you captain Forest. Mm. You went on to amazing success in the Premier League, played for England, and are now one of the biggest pundits in the country. It's a remarkable <laughs> life story. What's mad for me is I was in the same class as you at school. I was going to say, totally obsessed uh, with Forest, and then someone was like, <laughs> "This kid who basically sits near you in class is like he's at Forest now," and I just remember your career going yeah. through the stages. I remember you being in the like going off to Forest two or three days a week when we were at Beckett. And then yeah, it, I was, yeah. And then we start doing our A-levels and you're playing <laughs> for Forest. It was just one of the most amazing <clears throat> things to see. Yeah. It, I mean, when, you know, I remember my school days as exams and things. Like, for you, it must mm. have just been totally different. You were kind of part-time at yeah. school, really. Essentially, yeah. I mean, I, you remember, Matt, that, like, I used to come to school, like, I used to come to school with, like, these big bags. So I'd have one big bag, which was my kit bag for football, and then my, my other bag, which was my schoolwork. And I was always trying to find a room to chuck this bag in all day. Um, but what they had at this particular time, like, Forest were always a very forward-thinking football club when it came to their academy, because I think they've always done well with it. And they took on this system called the IAC system at the time, where they used to basically come and get us from school. At like, it was just after lunch. So you'd have lunch at school. And then for the next period, I would get like dragged out of class and be like, oh, Jermaine, your car's here. I mean, you can imagine as a kid, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> see you later. I'm off to go and play football. Like it was class. I was like, so I was going, getting picked up. But then when we got to uh, training, we'd go and train for like an hour and a half, come back, do like schoolwork, essentially just pissing around as, as a team for God knows how long. And then we would train again that night. So it was just like their way of getting as much kind of, so instead of it just being Tuesday, Thursday, we were like doing double sessions on those Tuesdays, double sessions Thursdays. So I did that for about what, two, about two years, um, you know, during school. And I remember that kind of, 
it, it elevated my game massively at that time and actually gave me a little bit of a glimpse. You know, when you're young and you're playing football, I was just, you know, whether I was on the school field or I was in the streets, I was just playing football. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm actually at the Forest Stadium. And you know what it's like, they've got the European Cups everywhere, the history of all the old players are everywhere. And you start to get a feel um, for it. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I swear at that point, I, I did not know I could make money from playing football, really. Until the day I got offered my first contract and I was like, what? <laughs> I'm going to actually make money playing football. Like that I knew obviously money was in the game, but until it hits your hand, you're like, what is this? I'm actually getting paid to play football. This is ridiculous. So, yeah, it was, um, it, I mean, I remember collecting my GCSEs and obviously the training, our, our stadiums around the corner from where our school was, man. And everyone was like panicking in our year about what grades they had and all this. I mean, it feels crap saying it. I just didn't care. It was like, I, I was all thinking, I can't wait to run around to school in my forest kit and everyone's seeing me. And I'm just like, I literally finished training, ran around to, to, to the to school, like picked up my like grades or whatever and just bowled out. I was like, yeah, I'm going back to training. That was it. That was like, that was <laughs> didn't I, even look at them. I literally didn't. You know, my mum brought them around here the other week, right? That, you know when you tell yourself you've got so much better grades? Like, I've been telling everyone, like, I got, oh, I got a C in maths, I got this. In... It was not that. It was not pretty, <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> it wasn't uh, pretty. Jermaine, what was, uh, what was Matt like at school? Because he looks like the sort of kid who you'd want to slap. Whoa. Yeah. He's got that no, kind of face, what, hasn't he? Right? You know what, Matt, um, <laughs> Matt was... In my, from my from my memory of Matt was just in a weird way just Alan Partridge. That's the only <laughs> memory I have of Matt. <laughs> <Go on. laughs> that was it. I swear down. Like so oh man. Matt, Matt was the kind of kid, right, that I remember that he had a weird way of integrating himself into everybody's circle with his jokes. So you know, you, you know what it's like at school, you've got like whatever the um, the fashionable kids or whatever that are doing everything and you've got like bullies and idiots or whatever. Then you've got like the kind of like the poor kids that don't know where to even place themselves. And I just remember my map was floating around the middle. Like it was, it was always really like risky. Like, really, like see, I used to sometimes hang around with like some older kids, like, uh, cause uh, my best mate, uh, my best mates were Vaughn Harvey and a guy called Craig Anderson, who was still my best mate to this day. And Vaughan were, me and Vaughan were quite tight. And then Craig was the year above me, but Vaughan had brothers. So I sang around with his brother as well, who was like two years above. And Matt used to just sometimes just come into the circle and we'd all be having a <laughs> random chat. And he'd come in and do like a Tony Blair impression. And he'd be like, where did this come from? Where did this come from? And then he'd just walk off. And he'd oh. like, did that just happen? So literally my whole kind of school year, because obviously, you know, you, look, you looked at my career, Matt, and then I started, like, even when I was playing, I was speaking to Craig and people like, kept saying to my Ford, he's doing really well, Ford, he's doing really well, keep an eye out for him, blah, blah, blah. Martin Teal, obviously, we both know, was, was doing a few bits and pieces, like, musically and, and just, you know, dossing around as he does. And, <laughs> and anyway, he, um, yeah, and then obviously kind of seeing where you got to, it was like, oh, kind of makes sense now as the kind of uh, the road that you took because it's basically what you were doing at school as well. Straight Still up. annoying people with jokes and doing yeah. Tony Blair impressions. Essentially, yeah. I, I swear <laughs> to you, Paul, like, it's, I'm not even joking. I didn't even know what Matt's real voice was like until like <laughs> after school. 
was like, oh, that's what it sounds like. It was oh, constant man. partridge every oh, single day, like, non-stop partridge. And the, and the ridiculous knowledge of politics as well, like, this, a knowledge of politics you should not know as like a 13, 14 year old. It was like, what, where is this coming from? It was, it was crazy. It was really You've got to get the babes some way, haven't you? <laughs> this is it. This is it. We all have our thing, don't we? Yeah, Mine was we a football Max was his impressions, man. <laughs> it's so, you know what's so weird about it is, I'd never thought of it like that, but I, I do yeah. kind of remember doing that. I'd obviously blank. Kind of remember. It's literally all you did. Like, <laughs> I mean, like just going up to people and doing it, like interrupting people <laughs> on the school field. Literally, literally just interrupting conversations. Oh, no matter what it, you know, you could be talking to a girl, you could be talking to like, the boys. <laughs> you just came in with just Tony Blair, Partridge, just that. And it was just mad. Oh, but it man. was your way, wasn't it? It was like everyone has their survival modes, I think, at school. And you know, you'll have a, a better understanding of what your uh, your own experience of school life was like. Um, but, you know, I think going to secondary school is quite daunting, isn't it? It's a daunting experience, taking those steps. And football was my, like, as soon as I stepped into the into Beckett in the second year, everyone was like, oh, you're Jermaine, you're the footballer, aren't you? Like, that was my thing straight away. Like, kids from all over Nottingham knew me as, oh, you're Jermaine Genus, the footballer. So I was like, oh, I'm comfortable. I'm all right. That's like my shield that's going to protect me throughout my school year because everybody wants me on their team. Everybody wants me to play for them. And it was like, it allowed me to, you know, be popular and which gave me confidence kind of moving forward in life. Whereas, you know, some people have to create a lot of their own securities, I suppose, when they're going through that period at school. That's so true. I mean, I remember Beckett as, I just remember, you know, I was trying to go about my business, but you and all the cool kids were always like, Fordy, come over here and tell us about Tony Blair. And I'd be like, Jay, please. <laughs> Give me five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Give me like a bit of peace, boys. Give us some entertainment. We've got nothing to do, Fordy. Come here and tell us some jokes. <laughs> I'll tell you what I do remember about you is, I remember you being obviously amazing at football. And I'd, mm. Like a lot of kids, I'd been on my primary school football team, which when you consider the numbers in your classes, it isn't that hard. So then I went, I didn't think I was any good at football, but I thought it was okay. I remember the first PE lesson and you'd have been in there. And there were really good players at Becky, obviously, because yeah. it had a catchment area that took over the whole of Nottingham. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, I immediately then realised, and not that I'd ever thought I was really going to be a footballer, but first PE lesson of year seven. <laughs> oh my God, this is a different league. And Beckett had a really good side. I mean, I wonder yeah. if how you perceived it at the time. Obviously, you said until you got that first contract, you hadn't it hadn't sort of dawned on you that you could make money doing it. But had when you're in year seven at Beckett and you're doing really well, did you think I'm probably the best player in this team or two or three of us could become pros? Or, or wasn't that even in your mind at that point? I remember at Beckett, the only couple of players I can remember, obviously the year above I had Matthew Turner. Um, but in my year, I think there was Ian Dodd. Yeah, he was, he was really Dodd, good. Dodd, Doddy was a decent player, but he was a good athlete. He was a good cricketer, good runner. Yes. Remember, there's a guy called Martin someone. Shardlow. Martin Shardlow. He was Shardlow. great. Shardlow. Martin Shardlow. You see it? You see it? You hear it? It just, it just came in, didn't it? It just naturally came in. Uh, even, I remember him being a decent player. But you have to remember, like, playing football... I, I'd gone through a, a situation where I was playing for South Knots when I was at, at Blessed Robert in my primary school. And that's wow. obviously trials for the whole of uh, the south of Nottingham. And I was playing in that team. And then obviously, as I'm going to Beckett now, it's Nottinghamshire. So you're playing for, uh, obviously, City Boys. 
Uh, so I came across basically the best there was and was playing. So I kind of, I knew, I knew about Doddy and I'd probably come across Martin at some point. Uh, so I, I knew I was all right. Uh, we, we, we had a decent team, but, you know, my, 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 my experience at Beckett and, and sport wasn't that great because the school was very like backward thinking, I felt, when it came to like, um, uh, well, how can I put this? So they were very strict in terms of stupid things. Like you, you probably remember, you couldn't wear like a red coat or, and for me in particular, like with my like my black heritage, I couldn't even do my hair in certain ways. Like I remember one day I was in class and I, I had my dad used to take me to get my hair cut and I had like a line in my hair. And as I walked in, into class, uh, Mr. Murphy, you probably remember him, <laughs> he was like my form teacher. And I was sat at the front of the class and as he opened the door, he just went, get out, Jermaine. And not even a word said, before he's even done the register, he went, get out. And I went, okay, so I stood outside and he came out. He went, you know, you can't have your hair cut like that. And he basically said like, as your punishment, you're going to do every single um, event you can possibly do in sports day. I was like, yeah, sound. I'll take that all day. Like, <laughs> won everything. I was like, I was like yeah, for, for my form, I was like javelin, long jump, everything. I was like, whatever gets me out of class, I'm here for it. But yeah, good times. My uh, my brother's your age, and I call, he's he's out in LA at the minute. I called him yesterday, and I said, listen, we've got uh, Jermaine Genius on because he used to he's your age, so he used to play against oh, you. All uh, right. So I said, what Where do you remember of him? He was at South Knotts. Okay. What, uh, what, what like local team did he play for? Like, obviously, I played for Clifton, or was he playing for like were all whites? Didn't you? I was, I was at all. Whites. I was at Clifton, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Anyway, um, carry on. Sorry. I'm just trying to remember where where he was. I can't remember now because obviously, when he, whenever he was at playing, I was playing, so I very rarely got to see. Yeah. Him. But but um, unfortunately for you, he was like, yeah, he was good, but Pennant was the boy. Was oh like, no, he yeah. was. Yeah, he was like you should have seen him at that age. He was ridiculous. Oh no, I've never. Seen, I mean, I I tell people to this day, you know, I've come across good young players in my time, you know, and as I progressed at um, even at Forest and going on England trials, and you come across people like Joe Cole, who was a year above me. Yeah. Um, I'd never seen anything like Jermaine Pennant in my life. Wow. Never, ever. I mean, I. But the thing is, as well, so like when you're talking about kind of like confidence going into school. Me and Pennant used to play in the same team together for Clifton. So, wow. so me and Pennant basically grew up together from the age of like seven, playing in the same team. And, and his background is just nuts. Like he did not have the support network that I had as a kid. Like, so my mum, when we was playing for Clifton, for example, we knew Jermaine was like, he was our star player. Like me and, me and him used to play up front together and just destroy teams. So, like we needed him, especially if we come against like Hucknall Harriers at the time were a tough team, Pheasant yeah. Colts were tough. If we played against any of those teams, it was like we need Pennant. And the amount of times I used to go to his house in the Meadows and I'd knock on his door as like a kid, and I'd be like, oh, "Is Jermaine here?" And his dad would answer and be like, "No, he didn't come home last night. I don't know where he is." And I'd be like, <laughs> "I swear he's like nine or ten. Like, what do you mean?" He'd be like, "Oh, he'll be on this. He'll be on the estate playing football somewhere." And me and my mum used to drive around the estate, and he just used to always have his boots with him. So and we'd just find him kicking the ball around and be like, Jermaine, we've got a game, come on. And he'd be like, all right, yeah, cool. We'll just jump in the car and then we'll go and play football and then like drop him home. And he was he was outrageous as a kid. Wow. And that's why he progressed so quick. You know, what was he? By the age of 17, he's at Arsenal and you know, the most expensive teenager at the time in, in the country. 
But yeah, didn't take me long to take that mantle off him, which I remind him on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the secret of your success then, Jermaine? Because obviously you got amazing natural ability and you worked really hard at it. But do you, yeah. you know, a lot of the players we have on this podcast will say, oh, there were more talented players than me at, say, the age of 15, but I knuckled down and they started drinking or anything yeah. like that. Or do you just think you've got so much natural ability that you probably could have been a bit looser and still got there? No, I, I definitely had some natural ability. Um, what I didn't have was the mentality. So I want to say the mentality. It's like Paul all understands even that dressing room environment and that kind of um, that day-to-day life of being a footballer. It's physically tough, but mentally, um, you know, the, the ability to be able to kind of survive in that dressing room is not A easy. lot of players Especially fall away within the youth team, don't they? They just yeah. go, this ain't for me. The, the test is vast. It is a brutal environment that you're walking into. And like you think secondary school is tough. This is like, you know, number one, you're competing with your friends for like one position. And there's, a, there's this kind of undercurrent of just like people wanting you to fail, putting you under so much pressure um, that you're going to break type stuff. Um, and I had, I had two really big moments in my, in my early years as, as a footballer. And Actually, Jermaine was a big part of one of them. The first one I had um, was when I came across, uh, well, not when I came across Jermaine, but we were, used to go on England trials for Lillyshaw when we was younger. And don't get me wrong, I knew the minute I was going on Lillyshaw trials, I was like, I'm not going because it just wasn't for me. It was just like, I didn't want to leave home at that age. I was a proper mummy's boy. Like I was quite happy to be at home playing for Forest at the time. But I'm going through these trials and... Um, I was like, obviously, being a centre midfield player, I was kind of like, you know, on the pitch performing when I got the ball, but then find myself drifting out of games quite a bit because I'm playing with boys from London, from Liverpool, like Newcastle, all over the country. And they've got these big egos, you know, they're playing for Tottenham, they're playing for Arsenal, they're playing for Man United, and they've got big egos. And I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, give me the ball. Give me... And I remember watching Penham, like, a lot as a kid. And he had this attitude, which was like, um, am, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Or yeah, not? yeah, oh, yeah. You can bleep me out. <laughs> I, I, I used to call it like, just the, I don't give a f- attitude or like, I don't give a f- type mentality. And so I'd watch him and he would just demand everything. And he had this kind of ability to be like, um, like a magnet, like everything had to come to him before it went anywhere else, which made him flourish as a young player. So you can really shrink in those moments and kind of go... Well, Coaches gonna... love that as well, don't they? They love Correct, that yeah. Exactly. So I, I remember like actively, and this was something I just worked on a regular, on a daily basis, was, um, you know, developing that mentality of just give me the f-ing ball. Give me the ball. Like I'd scream at players during training, give me the ball. And if they didn't give it me, I'm saying, what? give me the ball. Like they, to the point where I kind of flipped it on them. They were like, I'm going to give them the ball next time. <laughs> and I was like, and then I started grabbing hold of games at a young age. It was like, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. And then it was just like, wow, I'm dictating things at, at this level now. And when I went back to Forest as like a 14 year old, um, Paul Hart got hold of me and was like, he, he, he basically would he'd make me go and play with the under 17s. As a, as a 14 year old or, or and just go like deal with that and I, I had to kind of get hold of that mentality again and dig in and uh, and just obviously that's what carried me through my kind of youth stages and then the second one which was a bit of that and a bit of luck really we had one game against Derby County 
um, which was when I was just about to leave school for it. And um, we, we used to play in like three 25 minute sections or something like that. And um, I'm playing in this game and we had a good team at the time. My team was good. And players are getting dragged off the pitch. Like, oh yeah, I don't know, number 25, come here, off you come. And then I'm, I'm watching them walk off like in tears. I'm thinking, what the hell's going on here? Like, this, obviously it's against Derby, so it's a big game. Anyway, the game's going on. That player gets replaced by another one. We get to the end of the game, and basically, out of my whole team, I was the only player they kept. Paul Hart walked up to me at the end of the game, and he went, right, Jermaine, uh, we want to sign you on a three-year contract. Um, you'll get uh, it's a two-year scholarship with one-year pro. Um, we'll do the details. It's basically like £42.50 a week. You're on. I, that's when I went, what? I can earn money. This is mad. Um, <laughs> but I, I cast that as like, the luckiest part for me because I didn't really know that was happening it was just like it was just a bit of luck and then from that minute on I was so focused and so driven and so like you know I used to I was when when a lot of my team were going on holidays like with their families like my mum couldn't afford a holiday so I used to I was running around my estate like that I was that I was given we used to get given a bit of paper again Paul no that would be like your pre-season thing so it'd be like day one run two miles. Ours was like, tell me, run two miles, do 50 press-ups, 50 sit-ups and stretches, blah, blah, blah. Day two. Oh, we, had, we had none of that. Did you not? Well, that's uh-huh. what we got given in the youth team. And I everything I got on that sheet, I just doubled. Because I was like, well, if I do this and everyone's doing it, everyone's going to come back the same. So if it said run two miles, I was running four miles. And if it said like do 50 press-ups, I was doing 100. And I, and I just was like, that, that was my mentality until I started my very first days at YTS. But so many kids wouldn't have done that. So many of them won't have done what was on the sheet anyway, let alone doubled it. Yeah. But I think that a lot of it came down to, like, I didn't have a choice for the, like, like my, a lot of my upbringing, like, my mum raised me basically on her own from the age of eight. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but I'm not even sure it's legal, but, like, <laughs> Forrest were essentially paying the mortgage on my house from the age of, like, 14, 15. So me making it as a footballer was like, it's, it, it was the livelihood. It was for my, you know, it was so we could keep a roof over our heads. It was not like, oh, go and have some fun anymore. It was like, you've got to make it. There's not an option here because the electric's going to go. Or, you know, and Paul would always support as much as he possibly could in terms of those, those types of things. But Did you feel that I, pressure at the time, mate? Um, not really. No, my mum was really good at it. And, and Paul, they never categorically told me until afterwards. Um, it wasn't like, um, well, I kind of knew during, because I remember Paul sitting us all down as a family, me, my mum and my sister, and kind of going, look, what are the issues here within your family? He, that's where he was brilliant. It was no like, oh, he's a good foot. It went way beyond football to him. It was like, let me get into his life, see what's going on and what needs to just be taken care of so we can concentrate on that. And for my mum, she was working like two jobs as well as going back to university, you know, trying to provide me with boots and so on as a young kid. And he just kind of took a, a chunk of that away at a young age and went, right, let us just take the bills situation and you go and con- you just make sure that he is at training day in, day out. And that's, yeah, so Forrest had given me that. So in my mind, I was like, well, I've got to repay them like, I'll, I'll, and repay my mum and report, repay Paul's faith in me by not taking the mick like this is this is this is real like it's, it's not it's not just fun it's not a joke so i i already had a maturity that i think a lot of players in my team didn't have that is 
sort of makes me want to feel myself welling up thinking about that, that Paul Hart did that and that the club did that. Yeah, it was incredible. I, that, I mean, that's why I always have love for Forrest because it, it was it went beyond kind of what they created in terms of a footballer. Paul was all about men and what he was creating. I mean, to the point where I used to have to take my savings to him every single month, right? Every month that came by as a young player, I used to have to go knock on his door with my statements of my, my bank account and be like, all right, gaffer. And he'd be like, why did you spend £100 on a Prada hat in flannels? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right, yeah, Gaffer, it looks good. What do you want me to do? <laughs> it, it wasn't that, you know, he'd have a laugh about it. Do you know what I mean? But he just was like, as long as you're saving, I don't care. And then even like my car, I had to go and ask him for my first car. You know, it was, it, it, and even some players would buy cars without asking him. And he wouldn't let them park it in the training ground. They used to hmm. park it in the training ground. He'd go and turn to park it around the corner. And, have to, and they'd have to walk in and I'd drive by him because I'd like, I'd asked and everything. It was like, it was mental how how good he was at you know maturing you as a young player. It's fantastic that he gave that he realised the role of the coach beyond just what was happening on the pitch. Um, yeah, there's yeah. some managers that people talk about that, but certainly not. I don't think anyone's ever come on here and talked about a youth team manager being so involved in their life. No, there was a, there was a, a history of what we talk about the club having an ethos of building young men, didn't we? You know, even even yeah. throughout the Clough era yeah. you know when we when we first got sat down they were like you know everything I can remember Clough coming into the dressing room when we sat down on our first day and it was like seven first years and we sat there and he comes in you know with with Illy and mm. is just like you know we're we're building we're building young men here you won't be yeah. you you will anyone swears if I hear anyone swearing if, you yeah. know, if, if I hear you rude to Gene or the chairman or if I you know yeah. It was all about, you know, always asking about your family, always asking, you know, mm. have you got a girlfriend? Are you settling down? You know, how's your mum? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. The club, the club has had a history of that, I think. And I think hundred percent. I mean, do you do you remember George, the the old man that used to sit when you went into training? There was an old guy that used to sit there, right? So right next to the boot room, there was a there was a seat, and this guy was like the oldest guy you've ever seen in your life. Like I said. <laughs> He just used to know. sit. No. You remember George? He used to sit no. there every single day, George, right? And he just used to, he'd be there from morning. So I'd get in at like 7.30 <clears> and he'd already be there, sat in his chair. And all he used to do is sit there and just drink tea. And we had Tell the kit man. Remember Tell, obviously. And yeah, Tell would of course, just be yeah. like, Tell would like give him a cup of tea. And every now and again, if something fell on the floor, George would get his walking stick out, go and pick up a towel. George must have been there for like 10, 15 years. Like, just as I love George hot. already. Yeah, he was him. just part of the club. He was just there. Like, it was... And, and who was he? Loads of people like that. Who was he? This is my point. Nobody knew, really. He, was, he had no real role at the football club. But obviously, somewhere along the line, probably during, like, Cluffy's era, he just became part of the furniture. Like, I he remember just, him, I'm sure. And he literally just had a seat next to the boot room. And he, he just used to sit there... And he'd pick up his cup of tea, he'd be like, blowing his tea, he'd be like, you're right, George. He like, had the biggest <laughs> ears I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> BFG. So that's literally what he looked like, like a, a, like a BFG. But that, again, it kind of goes back to the fabric of the football club and what it's about. And it was a, it was a people's football club. And, you know, it, you know, it wasn't just a centre of excellence, but it had a way of playing football as well, which once Paul Hart arrived for me, 
you know, that was again another huge benefit. I don't, did you come through the system, Paul? I did, yeah. So, yeah. did you come through with Mick Rayner? Uh, yeah, yeah, and John yeah. Perkins, bless yeah, him. So Mick Rayner, and, yeah. yeah, so so Mick Rayner and me basically did not get on at all because my dad used to be a coach at Forest, um, and Mick and my dad didn't like each other, right. and Mick used to kind of take it out on me quite a bit, and uh. Yeah, and again, you, you talk about luck. So out of nowhere, Mick gets the sack, you know, right on the cusp of me nearly calling it a day at Forest, by the way. And um, Mick gets the sack and Paul Hart comes in. And for some reason, he looked at me and just went, I love you. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to create a professional footballer out of you. And that's literally what happened. Honestly, it was like... because Mick. I remember Hart like, coming in. It's like, it, was a, it was a weird... It was kind of a weird role because he was—he'd come and hang around with the youth team a little bit, and yeah. he, he was always just floating. It was like it's not his Paul Hart. He does this. He no, was just, it wasn't. No, it was this weird role where he just floated in between everything for a while. Yeah, and he was—he was. I mean, he'd already come from Leeds and created like Harry yeah. Kuehl and Jonathan yeah. Woodgate, that that team there. And with us, it was the first time I'd been introduced to a coach when like fitness and being athletic was a thing. Like he was crazy on on fitness, and that was like my thing. I was just like, all right, you know, I, I got I got fit without even knowing how fit I could be, just because of the sessions he used to put on and how hard they used to be. And they were so forward thinking as a football club. We had, I mean, this is where my group are very very lucky, and it's no coincidence that there's like myself, David Prutton, um, Reedy, Dorse. You know, this, it's not a coincidence because we had sports psychologists that we, we could go and see on a regular basis. We had media training at a young age that was just, you know, there was no need for it but at that time, but thank God they did it because I'm using it now. Um, we had all this stuff that was just, it was Paul Hart's mind was so far ahead of the game as a, as, as a youth team coach that you wouldn't have got in your era, Paul. No, no. So impressive. So then obviously you make your first team debut Forest, you become a first team star, you captain Forest. And then you go to Newcastle in that big move. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you've gone stratospheric. And it, it, just, oh, it happened so quick. It was crazy, mate, honestly. It was, it was one of the maddest kind of... It was crazy for a number of reasons, right? And I'll tell you a few of them that are just mad. Number one, I just bought a brand new flat across the... Uh, literally, where the Trent end is, across from there. I think I saw it the other day, and they're developing some new flats now. But literally, the back end of the Trent end over the water, I had a flat there. I used to wake up like on a, on a Saturday morning, look out my window and watch people walking to the stadium <laughs> thinking, I'm about to go and play in there. This is the best life ever. Wow, and cool. it, I, I, and I, um, so I was really happy. I was really content. And I remember like training and people was coming to watch us train. And I was like, what's going on here? And I remember speaking to David Johnson and he was like, they're here because of you. Like press was arriving and people in Newcastle shirts and stuff like that were arriving to watch training. I was thinking, oh, this isn't, I, I swear to you, you might not even believe this. I didn't, I didn't even know you could like, I didn't even know what windows were in terms of transfers. I just thought everybody left at the end of the season. I didn't know there's a January <laughs> transfer window at that point, right? So I, we had a day off and it was like a, a Wednesday. We, we used to train hard on the Thursday, on Wednesday off. And I get a phone call from Paul Hart, um, who was the manager at the time. And he's, uh, he says, come in, um, I need to talk to you. And bearing in mind, about a month before that, uh, yeah, about a month before that, I'd just signed a five-year deal with the club. 
right? So I literally just signed a five-year contract with the club. And I get a call from Paul Hart about, yeah, a month and a half, maybe two months after. And he's like, Jermaine, um, this is how the conversation went. I see, he went, sit down. I sat down in his office like this. He went, right, we've had three offers in for you. I was like, what? Where am I going? <laughs> he went, uh, Leeds and David O'Leary have been in touch. They're going to pay five million quid for you. He went, but you're not going there because that place is going to fall apart. And I know it is. So wow. you're not going there. He said, Sir Alex Ferguson's rank, he's going to bid. He's bid three million quid for you to go to United. And he said he's not paying a penny more because it's a privilege to play for the football club. Okay. And, <laughs> and the last one, he went, and, uh, and I spoke to Sir Bobby and Newcastle are going to pay five million quid for you as well. And the car's going to be here in an hour. And I was thinking, I swear it takes about three hours to get to Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, randomly, Shaka Hislop's brother was a driver. Right? He picks me up. Of course this is no was. joke. This is no joke. This is no joke. Like, Shaggy stop, picks me up. And I'm in the back of the car. And um, David O'Leary's like ringing my agent nonstop to go to Leeds. And I'm saying to my agent, I want to go to Leeds because like it's only an like, hour and a half up the road. Um, I knew some of the players there. I was like, I want to go to Leeds. And he was like, I'm not answering the phone. You're not going there. You're not going there. We get about two and a half hours back up the road. And my phone rings now. And I'm like, what is his number? Answer it. Sir Bobby Robson's on the phone. I'm just like, oh my God. Like, obviously, I was like, Italian night, he was my first World Cup. And he's like, Jermaine, can't wait to see you. Like, get up here, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, I put down the phone. I was like, let's get to Newcastle now. <laughs> uh, and honestly, it was just from that point on, it was just like, it was just so fast. I mean, I, I, was, in, I was in the boardroom in Newcastle and he comes flying through the door and he's just like, so excited and he was like you're right son like he said don't worry you're gonna play and that was one of the things that stuck with me a lot because like a part of me obviously wanted to go to united but i'm thinking i ain't getting in that team right now you got roy Keane, nicky butt scolzi i think veron was there there was so many good players at the time that like, i was just gonna get put like with the kids and developed and i've walked into newcastle and he's gone you'll be starting for me like that don't you're gonna start um and just like just the way it really what was strange was the way it really convinced me was somebody goes um take him to the training ground and bobby went no 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 don't don't take him to the training ground take him out just 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 take him out to have a look at the city and all that so um freddie shepherd god rest his soul was the chairman at the time and his two sons my agent me who got out for a bite to eat we end up getting absolutely steaming right and there's a game like the next day all of us are so drunk and he's like, right, I can't take you to the hotel because there's press everywhere. So we'll go to the uh, we'll go to the stadium. And in St James's Park, there's a four-bedroom apartment. So that nobody knows of really. It's like the chairman. Oh, wow. He's got a house in the stadium. Wow. So they went, all right, go in there, and you can you can you can have that for the night. So me and my agent stayed there, and then I like, I woke up, walked out to a box, and it was like stadiums filling up because there's a game on. I just looked at my agent. I went, where's the papers? I'm signing for this club, man. I love yes. it. Like, what a gaff. Like, <laughs> and, that, so cool. and that was me. Yeah, it was, it was, it was so fast forward. I mean, I remember being sat in my hotel and I'm, I'm changing channels. It was like a film, like I'm changing channels. I'm on every single channel. Because at the time I was like the third most expensive teenager in the world. It was time. It was so it was big. Mental. It was so was, big. It was, and like it was the back yeah, pages of every newspaper. 
Yeah, it was mental. I mean, I, I'd walked into my hotel room and I can't tell you, like Nike had sent me, oh, just, just everything you could probably have in a shop. It was just like boxes to the roof of trainers and boots and gym pads and tracksuits and everything. It was just like, what That's is so going cool. on here? It, and it sounds like something from a Macaulay Culkin film or like <laughs> Jerry Maguire or something. Like all of a sudden this young lad is just at this, and St. James's Park, Forest is a beautiful stage mm. and St. James's Park, it's like a massive, great stadium that looks down yeah. on the city of Newcastle. All of a sudden you're there, you're still a teenager. And like you say, Nike yeah. are just chucking all this stuff at you. And Bobby Robson is like an international yeah. star. Yeah. You know, what? I think one of my first times, my first ever visits to St. James's Park, I think Paul might have played in. Um, mm. I'm not, did, did you play at St. James's Park before? I did, Paul? mate, yeah. 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 I remember being, I was sat, because we played the, the youth team one afternoon and whenever the youth teams are playing a similar place, they used to try and take us to the game. And I was sat down in the Gallagher end watching Forest and staring up at that massive stadium. And just, I remember, I, I mean, obviously being around the Forest Stadium a lot, you know, it's sacred, you know, it's, that, it's got that feeling, that history and you love it there. Then you look at a place like St. James's Park and you're like, oh my God, this is mental. And that team you'd have played against would have been a, a top Newcastle side at the time. And that was my first experience as a kid. And it was yeah, literally... Beardsley, Shearer, Jones. Yeah, mental. That's what I'm saying. And I literally walked into a similar dressing room. You know, I, I literally walked into like Alan Shearer, just sat there and I was just like, wow, this is crazy. Like, and we had, we were, and I'm also, we were like second in the league, in the Premier League at the time. And I had a proper side with some big, big characters. And, you know, I think what helped me hugely was at Forest, um, which didn't have happened to me even after Newcastle is, you know, there was, there was an era where what I call like kind of like leaders and proper men in dressing rooms were about and they were created because of how they got there and the environment that thrust them to that position. And, you know, being around players like Andy Johnson, like was like, <laughs> John O'Man, love him, yeah. But, geez, this guy, right? I remember one of my first times getting called into the first team with David Platt and I was training and Paul Hart pulled me a few times saying, listen, have your whereabouts here because this ain't a joke. These lads think you're coming to take their position. And we already had a, like, there was an, uh, another youth team player called Gareth Williams who was brilliant in our youth team. And he was in there and he kind of looked after me a little bit. But I remember like the first ball that came into me in midfield I just knew that he was coming for me, John O. I just knew it. You know, I just had, you know, you just have that awareness about you as a, as a, as a player where you're just like, I can feel it. He was a it. unit as well, wasn't he? Yeah. It? Oh my God. It's like I could hear him grunting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he must have said to the lads, I'm going to show him. Watch this. And, yeah. and the ball's come into me and I, I've just seen him last second and like dragged the ball and he's got flying by me, sliding. And the whole place is erupted with laughter because I've absolutely skinned him and just popped it off and, I just spent the whole session just not letting him get near me. And, you know, it wasn't like he wanted to hurt me. It wasn't like he didn't like me. You know, he was always really encouraging. And it was just like the way it's done, if you know what I mean. If you want to be here, you want to be amongst us, then there's a, there's a, there's a hierarchy and I'm going to show you type thing. And, yeah, it was just about passing the test. And that Audie, was, that have was, we been able to put that's what helped. Gono's episode out? No, this is, is uh, you've, you've, you've hit upon an issue for us as well, Jermaine, is we, we recorded an episode <laughs> with Andy Johnson, but it's unbroadcastable. Right? There is no way yeah, that imagine. it could ever be put out. It, it was a really you know good what? laugh, to, but it was absolute yeah, filth. Yeah. I listened to a podcast <laughs> he did with um, 
What's that oh, podcast that's under the cosh? Under the cosh. I listened to that with him and Tank. Yeah. Uh, oh and Tank, Tanks was Tanks was lively as well. I mean, Tank was in that team. This is what I'm saying. These two guys were in this team that I was walking into. Animals, but, the pair of them. Animals, but like they just. <laughs> I think I thought they both took a bit of a shine to me. Do you know, I mean, they both liked me. I I, I was um. I remember as a youth team player, a lot of the players used to get us to go like wash their cars at the car park. Like you know the little car wash that was around the corner. Yeah, from yeah, the, yeah. The, and I remember like David Johnson had like an SLK. And one day, I, I've got no license for it at this point, by the way. He chucked his keys at me, going, oh, JJ, go wash me car. I'm like, go wash what car? And he's like, my Merc outside needs a wash. And it was so tight, obviously, in there. Luckily enough, it was automatic. Oh my God, I was absolutely myself all the way. I was like, it's trying to like get it through these tight spaces, but I got it washed, got it back. It gave me like 20 quid or something. I was like, yeah, well, I'll take that. But, um, and Tank was the first person I see have the X5 with the screen in it. And it, it turned up and he used to park it right at the front where we used to walk in. And I remember coming out and going, oh my God, what is that? Let me have a look at this tank. And he went, oh yeah, get in. So I got in the passenger seat and I was just like, this is unbelievable. And he was like, oh, don't be daft. He said, you'll have one in about a year. And literally when I went to Newcastle, the first thing I bought was, <laughs> I bought an X5. I went straight to BMW. I said, get me that now. I want that car. And I so you went that, to Newcastle. The memories <laughs> you went on to Spurs as well. Had an amazing Premier League yeah. career. That free kick against United is still one of the great oh. goals. But you, uh, yeah. one of the moments that I really remember about you, and I remember watching this game in a pub in Hockley, and it was when you played for England. I think it was against Australia, and they bring Beckham yeah. off and bring you on. And I remember yeah, just being like, this... Is it felt like over the course of about four or five years, you just kept going to the next level, to the next level. To the, it was like now he's playing for Forest, now he's captain yeah, in Forest. I know. He's got the Newcastle. They've just subbed Beckham off. But that- <laughs> I used to sit behind him in class. This is just insane. <laughs> it was so amazing. That's, you know, that's just kind of what happens though when you're when you're young, forty, right? You're so fearless. You're so fearless, and I think it's why you see a lot of young players struggle at times as well like people um there's a lot of young players that have a lot of early success and I was one of them and you hit this kind of plateau and it's hard to get off that and it's one of the reasons I left Newcastle in the first place because one I wanted to go to the World Cup and I knew at Newcastle it wasn't happening I mean I was I was like vice captain at the time to Shearer things were going well but the way we were playing and the way that Sunus was kind of treating me like we got on but just, you know, I just didn't feel it with him to an extent in terms of my development as a young player. And I knew that at Tottenham, they'd just signed like Carrick, Edgar Davids, Defoe. We had a, they, they was doing something there and, I, and they were after me. I actually thought I was going to Arsenal originally. Um, but then like Arsene Wenger turned around last minute and was like, basically, you don't trust English players anymore. Probably because of Pennant, to be honest with you. Pennant <laughs> <laughs> killed it for everyone. Not another Jermaine from Nottingham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he was like, no, I've had a bad experience with one Jermaine. I'm not taking another one. <laughs> From um, the same area. The yeah, same literally, city. like, they're boys. Um, so, yeah, but when you're young and all these kind of, like, things come to you, for you just take them on. Like, I mean, I remember going, I remember being in the San Siro at 19, about to go and play Inter Milan Gosh. in the Champions League. And obviously, like, again, Italian 90, and this was a packed San Siro with, like, Zanetti, Christian Vieri, Ivan Cordoba in the team, like, proper team. And 
I remember, go, I remember being really disappointed with the train, the, the changing room for some reason. I was like, <laughs> "What's this? This is crap, right?" And then, but I'm really nervous before the game, and I was like, "Right, I always used to go to the toilet before the game anyway." Bit graphic, but anyway. So I used to go to the toilet, and I've, I've gone to find this toilet down the corridor, open the door, and it's, it's literally two handlebars and a hole in the ground, and I'm like, "This can't be the San Siro. What is going on here?" And the toilet for the San Siro at that particular time was a hole in the ground. So I've got full Newcastle kit on. I've had to take off all my freaking gear, hanging onto these bars, thinking, I can't move them. I'm about to go and play at the San Siro, and this is my scenario right now. But then it was like, you know, you get out there, you are playing. It was so, it was like an electrifying experience. We drew, I think, three all in the game. It was mental. We had like 10, 15,000 Geordies turned up. It was like 80,000 packed out. And, um, you know, as you come through an experience like that, you all of a sudden come back to the Premier League and you're playing against that, of all due respect, I don't know, a Charlton or whoever at that particular time. And you're like, I was just in a San Siro, 80,000. So this is this is a piece of piss, this. And I think that's where the confidence comes from, you know, and that was, that was you know, that's the year I got that award, uh, the Young Player of the Year. When you're young, it just all, you're just fearless. And, you know, playing for England was... <coughs> It was just another part of that, and Mate, you actually you got man of the match in that game. But it was just—it's it's what you do when you're young. Do you ever? Do you, do you look back? I mean, you—you you, you did it. I mean, I—I had very small snippets of, of 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 what you've done, obviously. But walking out at Old Trafford or Anfield or yeah. you know, I've done those things. And when when I look back now, as a guy who's 46, and looks back at that kid that did that. I mean, it, it was more prevalent for you. You had years of doing it. Mm. You think, who was that kid? What yeah. was that confidence? What was I know what that? You mean. I was talking to my mum and dad about it the other day. I was just like, I was just like, I used to walk out on a pitch. I didn't care who was on it, and I knew I'd score. I knew yeah. I was the best player on the pot, whether I was or I wasn't. I told, I told you, you used to walk like it. That's how you used to walk around. <laughs> but like, I just always thought I've got no it. business being here if I don't think like that. Yeah, but that, that's why you laugh and joke about it. But that is what it was. Like I swear, like like it's weird that if you was if you if Paul wasn't on this call right now and you was asking me to name players around kind of his era, like I only could name a few, couldn't I? You know, I remember I obviously um, I remember Glenn Hodges, and the only reason I remember yeah. Hodgie because Hodgie had a bit of flair about him, a bit of style. Yeah. But the main reason I remember Hodgie, right? Is because at Forest we was we was going for a period where you weren't allowed to wear anything but black boots. This is Hardy again, black yeah. boots only, right? <laughs> Hodgie turned up to training one day, those R nine boots that, that he wore in the ninety eight World Cup had the mad colours on them. Oh, the blue and the gold. The blue, the gold, the yellow. Wicked. So Hodgie, Great Hodgie walks out of training. Everyone's like, "You're not wearing them." And he, he walks out in these boots. My God. Well, my next memory of Hodgie was in the boot room trying to polish them black. <laughs> that was it. That was my next memory. That's one of the main reasons Great. why I remember him and obviously Coops as well, because Coops was just a good lad. And when I came into the Resis, Coops was always like, he looked after me and he was the captain of the team and stuff like that. So lovely lad. But too. obviously, Paul was one of those main guys because honestly, he had an, he had an aura, he had a confidence about him, whether it was the music side to you or whatever it was at that particular time that made you stand out. And I think that's a big thing with your confidence. Like people say it to me now, like the way you carried yourself or the way that you just were, like if you walked into a dressing room, you knew. And I think that's why when I got the armband at 17 yeah. and I'm looking around and it's like Ricardo Schimaker and Bart Williams and David Johnson and 
all these players that have been playing, I was like, yeah, give me the armbands. Like, I, I can lead this lot, no problem. Well, this like, is it. I, you I can't walk... I, I can't walk into... A, I can't get given a first-team number, squad number, and walk into a dressing room with Stuart Pearce there and yeah. you know, Colin and Cooper not have and Steve that. Stone and, and, not, and, 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 and be shy and retiring. You've got to, you you've got to step up. You've got, you've got, yeah, yeah. It's exactly it. You've got to grab it. You've got to own it. Yeah. And that's but why then, a lot go missing. Captaining yeah. them at 17 is astounding. I mean, even getting into a first team at 17 is massive. Expecting them to respond to your leadership is, is the next phenomenal huge run that very few players actually will ever achieve. I mean, did yeah. they respond I, to I you think, well? Yeah, again, like it sounds weird saying it, right? But as a youth team player, I was like, I, I can't, it sounds so big headed and cocky saying it for you, but I swear. Even as a youth team player at Forest, I was like, God, I couldn't do anything wrong because everyone loved me. I mean, even to the point, the manager, David Platt, used to take time to come and talk to me personally. So I'm playing for the youth team and he used to come and watch us play. And as I'm walking off, he'd come put his arm around me and have a proper chat with me. He wouldn't do it to anybody else. Or if I was in the corridor, he'd be like, JJ, come here. I remember him one time doing some like technical skills thing where he used to kind of smash his ball in the air and the foot and he'd be like right someone bring it and keep it up and no one could do it and he came and got me out of the youth team into the car park he went come out and he got everyone out he went watch this and he got me out into the car park and he smashed his ball and he went jj bring that down and i just went bang brought it down in two kept it up gave it in back and i was like what and he, was, and he just went see that's where you go i, I swear there was nothing i could do wrong and so it was like those players that were already there knew that I was the next in line and I was kind of going to go on as well. And I didn't know that at the time, but this club had given me so much belief in myself that honestly, there was nothing I couldn't do. It was just like whatever challenge you put in front of me right now, whether it's an armband or whether I've got to go and play in the Champions League final at this age, I will deal with that occasion because, it, you know, it's what you've created, basically. You obviously have to have that self-confidence and that self-belief to be an elite athlete and to succeed in mm. something that's so challenging as football when you're in dressing rooms with other big characters. But what always <laughs> struck me about you was, and I would occasionally bump into you like in a bar in Nottingham. Oh, no. For, for all that confidence <laughs> you had, for all that confidence you had in your professional ability, you were always so pleasant. You were never... Larry or nasty or, or rude. You were always so... You'd always say hello to Imagine. me when I bumped into you in town. Like you were... You wore it. You seemed to wear it all so lightly. Dodged a bullet there, Jermaine. I was, I was a bit nervous. Like my wife's in the room. I thought you were going to start bringing up some old stories or something. Um, <laughs> no, um, you know what it is? I think, um, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I've, been, I've just been brought up that way, you know, and that's why my two best friends at school are still my two best friends to this day. Because, you know, even like the area that I grew up in Clifton, it was like one of those types of areas where I don't know, like I'd drive back in my Ferrari and I would go into like into the pub for a few pints with the lads or whatever. And they would literally just, it would literally be like, oh, shut up, Jane, sit down with you and have a drink. Do you know what I mean? That was the mentality of the area. They didn't care. They knew I was there and they knew I was this player or whatever. But the grounding they would give me, like, in terms of get down off your pedestal, you know we don't we don't care that you're Jermaine Genius who plays for England. You're you're Jermaine who went to Beckett with us, and that's who we care. That's all I care about, and that helped me a lot. And I think you know bumping into like old mates and stuff like that, 
don't know. I always enjoyed those moments. It wasn't like, I don't know. I've never felt like that anyway to this day. So it's, I think it's just obviously the way my mum raised me, to be honest with you. Got to give her the credit for that one. And she must be so proud of you now, as we all are. Not only have you had this amazing career on the pitch, but a fantastic career off it as a broadcaster and one of the best pundits in the country. At what Brilliant. point Love it. did you. you think, well, actually, I could, I, as you're coming towards the Never. end of your playing career. So, but, but did you at any point make a decision? You know, did you think, well, no. I might go into coaching? No, you did know what, Fordy, it was forced on me. You have to remember, like, my, my career was, it might, was taken away from me by a really bad injury. And at that point Did your ACL, life, didn't you? Sorry? Yeah, did, I did my did ACL. Yeah. yeah, I did my ACL. I ruptured my, I ruptured my Achilles before that. Oh, then I did man. my then I did my ACL as well. And it was just like, you know, and I, and I was trying to come back, you know, because in my mind, I always had this kind of fear. My fairy tale was to go back to Forest and get Forest promoted. That is all I ever, oh. that is what I wanted to do as a, as a as a player. No matter where I was in the world, whether I was playing for Barcelona, Real Madrid, you know, uh, Liverpool, Spurs. I, in my mind, I was like, right, I'm going to do that. And once I get to like 33, I'm going back to Forest, no matter what. And I'm going to try and... Because I, I could never believe the fact that I never played against Forest again in the Premier League. Like, I, I still to this day can't believe that Forest aren't in the Premier League. Because yeah. the, the team, even like, if you think about it, like even my the team I played in had only just came out of the Premier League. It wasn't, it, it wasn't like what they are now, which is a team that's never been there. They'd only just came out of it. So I always mean, isn't it back. mad when you talk to younger people that they don't see Forest what? how I mean, we saw them growing up? It's, and, it's and mental. An elite, an elite side. There, there are like, generation, there's a generational two that haven't seen oh, Forest in the Premier League. It's mental. It's absolutely mad. You know, Actually, you know what? When, What's mad is the last time Forest were in the Premier League, you and I were in the same class at school. Yeah, it was, that's it was the I mean. summer of 99 <laughs> when we got our GCSE results. Yeah, well, there you go. That's what I'm saying. So, and that was the year I basically went to start my scholarship at Forest. So, and I, I remember being a ball boy when we were in Europe. And I remember being sat down at Pierce's side and we were playing against Lyon and like Bayern Munich. And I'm thinking, wow, this team, like they had Jurgen Klinsmann up front. And that's the team, that was what I was seeing, you know. And oh, Don Mateus. This is what I'm saying, Matthias at the city ground. And you, you add all that to the fact that we've already got two European Cups and, you know, the, the club that I was a part of was like, well, this, this is it's a big club. Like, and it still is a big club. But like you said, Paul, there's a generation of people that don't even, they've got no comprehension no. of that at all. But to answer the question about the, the media stuff, um, yeah, so when I did my ACL, the BBC were just like, look, you know, do you fancy going to Brazil? I'm doing some work at the World Cup there, but I've just done my knee and I'm like, I'm not gallivanting around Brazil with a knee brace on. So I said no at that particular time. And I was still at QPR trying to rehab and get myself back playing. And it's weird because that experience allowed me to mold myself into the pundit that I wanted to be. Because I remember watching a lot of match of the days or listening to radios and it used to annoy me because people used to just talk in a way where just forgot almost that they were players themselves and so disrespectful as well. Like everything's a disgrace or nothing's good enough. And it's like, no, why don't you try and figure out maybe what's going off in their life? And it's a bit of like the Jesse Lingard situation now where, you know, you have all these groups of people that were just abusing Jesse for a period of time. And now they're all licking his arse. Yeah. And it's like, there's no in between. It's like, you're either that or that. So what helped me was, I mean, QPR were getting battered bottom of the league. And uh, my very first kind of gig on Match of the Day 2, I've gone to Old Trafford 
and I'm still at QPR at this time. And there was me, Mark Chapman, and Mark Lawrenson, and we did it live pitch side. And I'm analysing, without even knowing I'm doing it, I didn't know how to analyse that. But Chappers is really clever. So he'd sit next to me, and as the game's going on, I'm going, is this too much space here? There's too much space there. Like, what, how's he not got that tight? You can't give him that much room. And he's just writing things down as I'm talking. And then little did I know, they'd created all this Piero. It was like, Jermaine, this is what you were talking about. And this is the spaces. These are the, and I was like, yeah, that's what I saw. And now it's come to life. Um, and it was just then about explaining it. And Lauro was amazing because he was so giving and so like, you know, have your moment type, uh, type guy and relaxed me loads as well as Chappers. Um, but then the, the funny thing is, I, I'm obviously I've got to be critical but then I'm going to sit in the changing room with these guys on Monday morning. <laughs> so it's like, I, I, I kind of worded things in a way, like, for example, if someone's not tracking back, it's like, that's, you know, that's, that's not a disgrace in my mind. I'd start thinking, you know, I'm saying things like, listen, they've been passed off the pitch. It's later in the game. And he's you know, just bust a gut to get there. Basically. Yeah. 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 So understand this is tough as a player yeah. and it looks worse than it, when it, than it actually is, but they'll learn from it. So, and then I, I went and sat in the dressing room on the Monday and literally like a group of the players just formed a circle around me, right? And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. And they went, like, I remember like a few of them just jumped in straight and went, what's it like? And I was like, what? They're like, you know, doing match of the day, what was it like? Like, was it good? And because I was like, oh, you look right. And then, and then I'd walk down the corridor and Harry Redknapp was the gaffer and he'd be like, oh, I saw your analysis at the weekend. He'd be like, you was right to be fair, so. You know, and I and that kind of gave me the like the validation of actually I've got something here as to how I do it, and it's a bit like what I was like as a player. Sounds horrible saying it because I know you're a big fan, Fordy, but in my opinion, I don't care what fans think. I care about what my teammates think, and I care about what my manager thinks, and that's how I used to play the game. And this is same for me as a pundit. Now I don't do my punditry for for views or for clicks. Or for you know a, a lot of stuff that a lot of a lot of under, other pundits do it, I do it so that when I walk down the street, if I bump into Delhi Ali, if I bump into Harry Kane, or I play golf with every now and again, if I bump into that player, they look at me with respect rather than the way I know they look at some other pundits. But you know what's great about that? The effect is actually you are more respected by the viewing public because yeah. as a fan, yeah. I don't just want to hear that sort of invective or that disgrace stuff. It does nothing for yeah. me because. I've never played the game. And what's great about you and Carragher and Neville is you've educated the public about what actually goes on. So it's far more satisfying <laughs> for me to watch you say, well, the reason he doesn't track back is this Correct, and give yeah. it context. That educates me as a viewer. But the thing is, Matt, that is analysis. And that's what sometimes pundits forget. Like analysis is not, or even commentary, is not telling the viewer what he already knows. Yes. It's about explaining why things are happening. And that can be something as little as the body language of a team in a certain moment or like when I watched Sheffield United the other day in their game against Leicester, I knew after five minutes they were going to get battered because they just was, they were not engaged in the game. And then I was doing match of the day that day and you sat there and you're thinking, Hmm, I could absolutely nail every single one of them here because I've got about 15 clips of just some disgusting lack of tracking back, lack of this, lack of that. But then when you break it down and you calm down, you go, hang on a minute. They've essentially just lost their Sir Alex Ferguson in Chris Wilder because he's, he's been the guy that's dragged them from League Two to where they are now. They're already rock bottom without a chance of staying in the league. 
there are so many things in this particular moment right now that are going against them that you know what it's not worth it's not worth digging them out on this occasion and we'll see how they respond over the next couple of weeks and those are the decisions that I think are important to make as a yeah see what 10 defeats on the bounce do to anybody's mentality exactly exactly and you and you and I we may not have had that experience of 10 defeats on the bounce, but we've had those experiences where either you've got, you're going out onto a football pitch and your confidence is rock bottom and you're thinking anything could happen here. Like to the point where Matt, a ball's coming to you and your concentration levels to control that ball are like beyond what they should be. And you see that in players sometimes. And then you see those players that are in autopilot. Like when you watch Phil Foden now and he's, he's just like, <laughs> he's just flowing. And he's just like, bam, 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 bam. And he's not thinking about anything. Like the Matrix, enjoying. isn't it? Yeah. And that's because his body feels great. His mind's so like in tune, and it, you know, and that is, you know, that is what you love to see. But it's kind of like those next stages that are are more important for players. Like, there's that great Clough interview, isn't there, where he talks about pundits um, talking utter nonsense. Yeah, well, there's a few managers. Like Jose, brilliant. Yeah, Jose is like the Cloughy now, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? Okay. It's like, and, and that's the other thing as well that you have to take into consideration. Like we, as pundits, every now and again. You know, we'll go and interview Jose and mm. you have to fact or, you know, or, or, you know, back then it'd been cluffy. And if I'm a manager and I've seen you talk about me or my team in a certain way, I'm not giving you anything. Yeah. I'm just not. I, I, I'm like that as a player, as a person. I'm just thinking, well, you've not taken enough time out of your uh, of, of your life to do your job properly or give it the time it needs. So I'm not going to give you my time. Yes. And, I, and, and I know there's a lot of managers that would think that. So what happens for you next, Jermaine? You've had this incredible life on the pitch, a brilliant yeah. broadcaster off it. You're still only... Th- I mean, people can't believe we're the same age, by the way. We put <laughs> a in our 40s former classmates. People go, there's no way they're the same age. People thought I was the older one, by the way. So, yeah, well. no, <laughs> people literally, if it ever comes up and I say, oh, I was at school, Jermaine, people are like, what, were you like in sixth form when he was... <laughs> Year seven, I was like, no, we're the same form. Yeah. We're like identical <laughs> age. Yeah, identical age. I think I my hair's receded a bit more than yours. Or something. That's probably. Um, it's not too bad. Yeah, but yeah. So what do you anyway. do next then? What I mean, have you, you know been a pundit for a while? I guess this is the, uh, that's the beauty of what I do now. I think uh, forty. It's um, I don't know. Is the honest answer, and I, I enjoy that. I think the one thing I do know is I don't want to be a pundit my whole life. I like punditry and I enjoy punditry. I much prefer now kind of asking the questions and driving the conversation. Um, so presenting is is probably my my future, which is why I've started doing like the one show now as well, because that yeah. adds another string to my bow. And, you know, I mean, I interviewed Dolly Parton the other day. Oh. What the hell? I, I mean, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'll be honest Mate, you can end it I, now. You can end well, it now. There should be a trophy saying, on your though. cabinet there. I, there you go. I don't like, I mean, I do not listen to like country music and I was interviewing her and I've never been so starstruck in my life. Yeah. And, you know, I'm from Clifton, mate. And I'm interviewing Dolly Parton. It's like, what the <laughs> hell is going on here? What is going on? Hey, up, Dolly. Hey, yeah, up, Dolly, yeah. mate. All right, Dolly, mate. From <laughs> Trent Barton to Dolly Parton. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Beautiful. And I suppose that's what I love about the world I'm in now. Like, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't. I honestly don't. I love football and I'll always be in football. And don't get me wrong, there is always something like eating away at me as to kind of what my team would look like on a football pitch. And whether that goes away or not, I don't know. Um, you got and I've badges? never said, I haven't got my badges, no, because 
when I finished playing, I just went straight into television and it was like, and I think if I was then going, going to coaching, television would go that way. You know, I would go fully into that as I did kind of um, my footballing career and my television career. And I threw myself into that. I would then go, right, Badgers, let's go in. Let's do it. And I think, you know, the beauty of that now is the inroads I've got with you know, managers like Jonathan Woodgate, my mate Kieran Dyer's at Ipswich, got Keno, who does the Irish Ireland team, Scotty Parker's at Fulham, Lamps, Gerrard, all these players are in there where you could, you know, there are, there are ins to get to start at lower levels, but it's not, it, 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 it's a part of me, don't get me wrong. And I think it's part of most footballers. You always wonder what your, especially when you analyse games, like how would my team look? Because I, I, you have a vision, but it's like, what would it actually physically look like? Um, but because of the TV stuff and how it's just gone like that, it, I'd be stupid just to turn my back on it now. So Absolutely. I'm just going to take it as far as I can and see where it goes. Jermaine, this has been a real pleasure. And I know so many Forest fans are just so proud of you that you've had such a wonderful career on the pitch. You're a brilliant pundit and TV presenter. So many people in Nottingham are proud of you. To have Thank been you. at school with you, in the same year, in the same form, is one of the most surreal elements yeah. of my life. To think Mental. we sat in that same class together. Crazy, isn't it? Crazy. And it's just been so nice. wonderful watching you just have the most amazing career. I, I no, know so I many people that, that, that are really proud of you. And no, thanks same for to on. you, mate. No, no, thank mate. you very much for having me. And you too, Paul. Top man. Top man, pleasure. Jermaine. What an amazing experience. And you can totally see, firstly, the influence of Paul Hart, that, that point that Jermaine makes about... Again, yeah. creating people, creating men, creating adults and all the other stuff, all that, that holistic approach, giving him media training and things, giving him that rounded view of what a footballer should be is really important. But the yeah, reason why... kind of lament for the idea that we didn't have it. That came in just after us, you know. Well, that was interesting when he said, oh, you know, that sheet you used to get, and you were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Get any of that, what mate. to do in pre-season I th- that was just not get too fat and obviously every guest who comes on here is from a different era has their own perspective has their own view of football and life their time at forest a different take on their career everyone brings and that's because they will have different personalities but the way that Jermaine talks about football and the way that he talks about life is so it's just in a different level. I've never heard anyone really talk about it the way that he does, that specific take. And you can see why he's such a great pundit as a result. Well, that's because he's, he's, he's genuinely at the sharp end of changing punditry and how people talk about football, the language around football, with people like Gary Neville and Carragher, as you mentioned. These, these people are at the sharp end of that, and you can really hear it. It's thrilling. To, it, was, it was genuinely a real thrill to sit there and listen to him talk and... Uh, and and just hear that mind kind of spill out over the microphone is incredible. He's so clever, and you think he could have obviously it's very very gifted at football, though, isn't it? It's a it's a it's a it's a different type. We always talk about this: the type of intelligence, it's a lived intelligence, it's a footballer's intelligence. It's it's very different to what people deem as intelligent. Yeah, but you know what? He's the sort of guy that I think had he not been good at football and he'd applied himself at school with his natural intelligence, he'd have done well. Yeah. Same with yeah, you. Possibly, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. I mean, the point is, I guess, is that it doesn't matter. You know, you 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 led a wonderful life as a result of football. There's no point, kind of <laughs> wondering oh, yeah. what you'd have got for your GCSEs. Oh, well. 
pointless waste of time. By the way, I've done exactly the same as him. When you, you, you look back at what GCSEs you actually got, I mean, I've, been, I've written all kinds on CVs and everything, like not got near it. <laughs> no one ever checks that you guys a life no. lesson in there. Um, well, thank you for listening to this. This has been a very special episode. So share yeah, it far and wide. We are recording as many of these as we can in a, in a kind of little season, I guess, series. I say season because of football. You know, with box sets now, when mm. people are like, I'm on season two, I always say series two. Maybe I'm outdated. Yeah, you are. I need to start thinking yeah. in terms of seasons. But thank you for downloading you this. We hope you're well. Thinking in terms of Netflix. This has been a wonderful walk down memory lane for me, and I hope it has been for you. And we'll see you next time. You it. Yeah.